Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, welcome back to a brand new episode, brand new guest. Casey Lostetter is with me today. And uh, Casey, thank you. I'll say once again, because we've managed to, to run into a couple of difficulties, technical difficulties, but thanks for hanging out with me for a third thank time. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall a little bit there. Yes. Um, you know, one of these days, I'm going to actually hit the record button the moment that I get on a call with my guest. I've said this kind of thing before, but it'd probably be kind of interesting to share with our listeners what, what the behind the scenes looks like. Um, nonetheless, I, I appreciate I mean, you making time to hang out with me and, um, we're going to actually get into a really a brand new topic or at least a brand new angle on a topic shooting film, but more specifically how film has actually saved you time. And this is a pretty thought provoking idea. We're going to get to that detail or those details in just a little bit, but to begin with, um, let's talk about your business more specifically the brand position or the unique value proposition your business is bringing to by the way, a Hawaiian market, right? Yes. So I am a Hawaii-based photographer. I live on the island of Oahu. Um, and Oahu is the island where Honolulu is. That is where Waikiki is. So we get a lot of visitors, um, but we also just have uh, the most population in terms of each island out here. So I am a film photographer for the adventurous, playful and wild. And specifically, I typically will shoot families and I love working with families who are up for an adventure. They love to play and they're a little bit wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I just, I love bright colors. I love families and I love just creating and playing with, with my clients. Well, and for anybody who's curious, you, you may want to just jump right into Casey's Instagram account because speaking of of bright and colorful, that it is. Um, if you go yes. to, of course, Instagram, it's Casey, the letters K and then C, Lostetter is L-O-S-T-E-T-T-E-R. And we'll put that, of course, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. You can also visit her website, Casey Lostetter, just like I spelled, dot com. And uh, again, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, first of all, Oahu is stunning. I took my kids there a few years back and had a wonderful time for multiple reasons, one of which I, I found quite fascinating, which is that a massive percentage of the population is Japanese. And yes. I actually grew up in Japan, so I felt like I was just in heaven. I had you know my American culture and my Japanese culture all in one place. It was pretty brilliant. But oh my goodness, it's absolutely stunning. And I, you're so lucky to get to live there all the time. Yes, we, we really love it here. Well, it, the other thing that I want to point out that uh, I, I think you've done a, just a really wonderful job of is putting your brand position statement right up front on your website. So again, for anybody listening in, if you go to caseylostetter.com, you can see this. Uh, the first thing that you're greeted with, whether on mobile or the desktop format, is that position statement, big, bold, there for everybody to see, can't be missed. 
Um, Oahu photographer. So you call out the location or your target clients, those who are in Oahu. Uh, photographer for the adventurous, playful, and wild. Now, this has been a popular thing over the years for photographers to pick three words to represent their brand. Um, why mm-hmm. specifically these words? And and do you ever filter out clients that don't fit those words? Um, I feel like because those words are kind of jumping out at you, I typically will get clients who want those things okay. um, or who are those things. Yes. And I think the way that I shoot and what I share um, like on my website or my Instagram, um, it is playful and it's a little wild and weird and adventurous. <laughs> and I constantly talk about going on adventures. Okay. So my family loves to travel. Um, but even when we're not traveling, we're adventuring wherever we are. And so I talk about that a lot. Um, just finding adventure, even in your everyday, like maybe your adventure for the day is in your house, you know, like there's adventure everywhere. And I just love the idea of like embracing that and seizing the adventure. And, um, and yeah, I just like, especially with kids, like the wild aspect to it, like some parents come to a family session. They're like, Oh, my kids are crazy. Like they're just going to be crazy. And I'm like, great. I love it. Let's do it. Like I want like the crazier, the better it's going to be a good time. And you're going to get some really fun images. Um, I remember actually, going to a studio when, when I was a, a kid, uh, and there was this experience and I'm sure a lot of people uh, my age, maybe a little bit younger too, have had this experience where you go to a studio and you know, you have to be, you have to sit just so, and you had to put just the right clothes on. And for, for me, I think at times we even had to wear a tie. My dad wanted us to look all dressed up for the family portrait, but it was just a very kind of tedious, uptight, stiff experience. And you're talking yes. about creating something that is totally the opposite, but I, I think naturally so, right? For, for most families, you point out how families would be like, oh, my kids are going crazy. And you're like, that's, that's great. It fits your brand, but that's just kind of reality, day-to-day life, and you're there to capture it. Yeah, and I, I really try to tell people like, hey, I'm here to take honest, raw photos, and I want like the honest, raw you. Like, yeah. come be yourselves come play with your family, come cuddle with your family. Like we're going to like, it'll bring so much more of your personality out than you just standing rigidly together, smiling (laughs) at me. Like, yes, that is a valuable photo. And grandma wants to see that photo, but like, let's get some other fun things that actually captivates who your family is. Well, two things. First of all, props for actually following through on your position statement because it's easy to say words but then not actually represent it but you're doing that i mean i'm scrolling through your instagram account here as you're talking you're doing that it's it's really really lovely the other thing that i really love uh, about the feed as i'm going through it is that there's such great variety and you pointed out that you know everybody's standing in the exact same position in this kind of stiff uh mode if you will is is really not particularly conducive to great images, especially when it comes to family and kids in particular. And mm-hmm. so the variety that you have here too is a great reflection of your approach, your style. And and so props to you for that. And, and again, for everybody listening in, make sure you go check out Casey's Instagram feed to see what I'm talking about. But moving to the next question, how long have you been in business, first of all? So I we moved to Hawaii in 2012 okay. the first time. And in moving to Hawaii, I sold my truck and I bought a camera. I didn't spend all of my truck earnings on a camera. (laughs) So (laughs) let's not get ahead of ourselves. But 
Um, the idea was I just wanted to, I knew Hawaii was beautiful and I was like, I just want to be able to take pretty photos of Hawaii. And then eventually I thought, well, maybe I will have a family someday and I'll want to take pictures of them. So in 2013, I met my friend Annie Groves and I asked her to, um, teach me how to take portraits because she was a family photographer at the time. Cool. So that was 2013. In 2014, my first family, it was a friend, um, asked me to take photos of their family. And so I reluctantly obliged. (laughs) I was like, you don't actually want me to do that. But I did it and I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And so 2014 was when my Kind of was sort of the birth of my photography business, and that was all on digital. Right, and then you ended up making a transition, which we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. But okay, so we're talking about six years, let's say, that you've been in business or started photographing mm-hmm. individuals or families. Um, from that experience, what has been the most important principle that you've learned behind providing just a really great customer experience? Yeah, so I put a lot of emphasis for my business on the time that we are together. So naturally like all of the communications before and after is really important. And like to have your personality in those conversations um, and just like making sure that they're comfortable and excited for the session. That is really important. But for me, um, I really put a lot of emphasis on the time that we're together and just making sure that they have the most fun, Hmm. relaxed, enjoyable time. Yeah. Um, and just to show people that they're loved and cherished and beautiful. And so I am, um, a big fan of, you know, those like things that pop up in your head and you almost say, but then you take them away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a big fan of like, just letting those come out of my mouth. So when like, I mean, as long as it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing, stuff it away. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, when I'm taking photos of a family, if I see something that's really stunning or beautiful or like I get excited about, I make a point to like say those things. And I don't know necessarily if the client is hearing all of them, but in my excitement, they get more excited or they feel happier or like look forward to what they're going to get back. And the last thing I'll add to this what I really love is surprising my clients once they get the gallery. So because I work with kids a lot, parents sometimes will walk away from a session and they're like, Oh my gosh, my kids were crazy. I'm so sorry. And all I can do is just reassure them like, Hey, I've seen worse. I've seen crazier. Trust me. Um, And then when they get the images back, they're like, how did you even capture that? Cause my kids were (laughs) bonkers. And I'm like, dude, it like, there's there's good stuff in there like I can pull that out or I can find it or I have been doing this enough that like I know when to hit that shutter to grab those moments absolutely I just love when they email me later and they're like man I thought for sure you weren't going to get anything and I'm like nope it's right there it's there and I I like the initial response dude that that very much fits um not only the the Hawaiian stereotype but also I that I say dude all the time (laughs) I love that oh my gosh I always do (laughs) 
That's so good. Well, back to what you were saying earlier, though, and this is something I've been really harping on, I guess, for a little while now on the podcast, but I think it's so important to show genuine enthusiasm and excitement about what's going on with your clients in front of the camera. Because so many times yes. they're they're nervous either just because they're in front of the camera and that they're not used to that idea, or they're nervous because their kids are behaving a particular way. Whatever it is, if you if you throw and show genuine enthusiasm into that interaction, it makes all the difference in the world. And you were saying you weren't sure if they're picking up on you know the comments that you make. I would venture otherwise, um, because you know people first of all tend tend to notice. I think in some cases anyway, more than we realize. Um, and if it's positive in nature, if it's encouraging in nature, if it's complimentary, those things I think people are going to tend to pick up. So I, I think it's a great reminder for all of our listeners that we make sure we throw great energy into it. We let loose. We have fun because that really will translate to a better experience for the client. That's really yes. cool. Well, and too, like you think like people mirror each other. So if you come in and you put your camera to your face and you turn into a robot and disappear, like, what is your family? What is the family that you're capturing going to yep. do? Like, yep. they're going to shut down. They're going to be quiet. They're going to freeze up. Like, they don't know what to do. Right. So, um, but if you can be excited and happy and like playful, they're all, they're also going to play into that as well. That's great. Good reminder for all of us. Um, I want to get to the next question though. And this is, I, I know that you have family and you're, you're doing business at the same time. How, have you learned, and maybe one particular way that you've learned to better manage your time so that you can give the attention you need to to your family and also to your business simultaneously? Yeah. So I have three little girls. We have a four-year-old, an almost three-year-old, and a baby that is turning one tomorrow. And they are adorable, by the way, I have to say. Thank you. There's, I mean, just so many pictures on your Instagram feed and they're just gorgeous. Oh yeah, they're all over. I, I mean, we can get into personal work later, but <laughs> there's a lot of value in that. Anyway, um, yes, I shoot them a lot. Um, anyway, I so we have three little girls, and my husband travels quite a bit, and so a lot of times I am trying to run my business and solo parent at the same time. And for me, and this is will go against the popular opinion. I choose being a wife and a mom first and my business comes third, I guess, second, third. And that is just my philosophy and my desires that I want to focus on my family, especially right now while they're young. Um, When they're older and they're all in school, I will have all the time in the world to, not all the time in the world, but I will have a lot more time, a lot more free time to work on my business. And so right now I had to figure out how to have pretty strict boundaries with my mom life and my business life, Um, which kind of goes against my personality. Like my brain could be working nonstop all the time if I'm not careful. And so I started mom day Mondays. So Mondays are my mom day. I won't work on Mondays. Um, and that is my day to reset the house, get ourselves ready for the week. Um, and then once I do that and I know that on Tuesday at nap time, I can do this and Wednesday at nap time, I can do this. And just knowing that I have those pockets of time set aside to work helps me be more present as a mom and a wife and more focused when I'm actually sitting down to work. I, I, lo- I love the dedication of a particular day. I, we used to do something called fun Mondays um, when mm-hmm. the kids were actually before they 
uh, started school. And then after school started, then it was Fun Sunday. But it was a, a kind of like what you're talking about, a day dedicated to certainly taking a break on our end, but but then also making sure that there was focus time given to the kids. And it was there was an innate accountability to it, too, because they knew that that was, that was their day, you know, and, right. and you couldn't just kind of get away with jumping back into the computer or whatever. I think that kind of accountability yeah. is great. But I want to go back to what you said earlier. Um, and, and I don't think that there are enough... And actually, I was going to say, I don't think there's enough emphasis put on kind of bigger picture ideas or principles that, that drive our personal life and, and in our business as well. I think in some ways, we hear them a lot and maybe so much that that we don't give them enough significance, again, in our day-to-day personal life and in our business life. But you spoke to, for, well, actually, what is for you a value, uh, which mm-hmm. is being a mom uh, first. And Understanding that first, that this very idea, this is something that you place significance on and ultimately makes you happy, that everything kind of falls underneath that. The way that you structure your business, your weekly schedule is a result of that top line value, um, I think is a really great example for all of our listeners because it can be very easy to be reactive in nature when we're running a business and, you know, something mm-hmm. comes our way. There's a cool idea, a cool new electronic gadget, uh, you know, a workshop to go to a preset to buy, whatever it is. And it's very easy to just react to those things. Oh, we have a new, new client and it doesn't necessarily fit the brand, but whatever, I, I, I need to get the money. Um, and we'll make excuses all day, conscious or subconscious and, and just can go with the flow. And that puts us in a really bad spot many times where we're trying to just keep up. I like how you stop from the top down. Hey, I'm a mom and everything else that I do is going to fall underneath that. And I think it's a great example for all of our listeners. Yeah. And, you know, I even bring that into like decisions that I make, you know, um, they say all the time and I have to remind myself if I say yes to something in business, I'm saying no to something with my family. And so I have to weigh those decisions based on what is best for us and our family and be okay with maybe having some patience for some bigger goals or, um, or just, that's just not my story. And that is someone else's story and that's fine. Yeah. And that sums it up beautifully. Talk to me about, I mean, we were talking about time management and outsourcing delegating is, is certainly one of the most important components of saving time as business owners. But what does that look like for you? Is that something you've experimented with? Have you found any benefit in it? Um, I haven't outsourced a whole lot. Um, I do have a little bit of like automation and I use Dubsado for like my client workflows, which is really helpful. Um, I do have templates. So like for email responses, um, and that is something that if I were to hire a virtual assistant, they could use those templates. Um, but some of those are even like in Dubsado. So it just kind of automatically goes I would say my biggest thing for outsourcing for me is getting premium scans for my, uh, for film. Really? Okay. And, um, that, uh, we can get for like into what premium means. Um, different labs have different levels of service and, um, I choose to get the highest service so that I don't have to touch my scans when I get them back. Um, when my, sorry, I'll say my images. So when my images come back from the lab, um, all I have to do is crop straighten and then call out what I don't want to send. And that is pretty much it. So it is similar to if I were to send off my digital to be edited, 
um, what I get back is exactly what I want to see. Uh, whereas you could get basics and then still do some editing on your own, but mm. I would rather not do that. So <laughs> I, I just want them to come back and be what I want them to be. And then, yeah. Well, and, and like you said, we're going to touch on that workflow a little bit more detail here in just a bit. I, I like the teaser though, and uh, yes. we'll get our, get the listeners to stay on board for that because I think there's really, I mean, this is not an element of shooting film that I've heard discussed at this point, at least not a whole lot anyway, which is you can, you can actually, you can actually save quite a bit of time um, if yes. you're open to the idea. So we'll go there, but uh, talk to me, let me transition just a little bit. Talk to me about an impactful business or self-help book that you've read or listened to. that's made a big impact on your life. So I don't have a super great answer for this. Someone recently told me to read the four hour work week. Yeah. They told me I needed to get a hold of that one. And I was like, okay, I will put that on my list. But <laughs> um, I think honestly, what has been really impactful in recent years was diving into the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar. To, to an extent, yeah. Um, I'm a three with a four wing. <laughs> but um, it just has been like really insightful into the way that I work and the, the, the way that I value certain things and the motivations behind the things that I do. And so it's just kind of a nice tool to like for a little self-reflection and like, sure. oh, yeah, that is not a really good quality. Like maybe I need to like check that or... Um, and also understanding the people around you. So, um, like if your spouse can get on board with it or, um, friends or coworkers, like, it's just a really great way to be like, oh, so that's why you do the way <laughs> the thing that you do, or that is the thought process behind something. And I just, I think if you can use it with some responsibility and not use it to assume horrible things about people, <laughs> like that's not a, it's not a good, not a good thing. But I, I really do think that it has been really impactful in a lot of ways, like business and personal. Yeah, the Enneagram is an interesting one. In fact, we just released um, as of yesterday. And so when this comes out, uh, it'll be June 23rd for everybody. Uh, the most recent episode of uh, the Boca podcast, I'm actually pulling this up to give you the exact number, 397. Um, and if you haven't heard this one yet, Casey, definitely listen in because it's an inter interesting kind of flip side perspective on on the topic of Enneagrams and personality types. Uh, but one of the things we actually talked about in in that podcast episode with Dr. Benjamin Hardy was that, I, at least I think anyway, the benefit or the primary benefit of Enneagrams personality type tests or personality tests is awareness. I mean, you pointed that out. You pointed that out. And um, I think where a lot of people can, I guess there's a detriment to these tests and the Enneagrams, at least from my perspective, when people get their Enneagram number or their personality type and they're just like, oh, that's me. And then they're done um, yes. with yeah. the kind of assumption that, well, I fit in this little box. And I, yeah, I, like I get the thought process from a human mm -hmm. being standpoint of wanting to better understand ourselves and making it easier to understand ourselves and easier to understand other people. Again, the awareness factor, I think, can be really helpful with these. But the flip side is where people then become lazy because they're like, well, this is who I am. You hear, you hear this or see this all the time. People yeah. will say, this is who I am. And that's where mm -hmm. the conversation ends. And there's no openness to the possibility of change and improvement. Yes. Um, and so we talked about that. It was a really interesting discussion. Um, but I, I definitely, to, to reiterate, I, I see the benefit in Enneagram, particularly when it comes to awareness. And yeah. Well, and even for me, like there's things like there, I mean, there's plenty of Instagram accounts that post like 
a type, if you're a type three, then blah, 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 blah. Right. right? And right. So some of those things I'll read and I'm like, that is just not true for me. Yeah. And then I'll spiral into this, like, well, am I not a three? Like, what is that? Like, maybe I'm not a three. I don't know. And then, but, it, but each person has their own nuances and yes. each number, like it's very fluid and like you can pull from different numbers. So like, yeah, I can read things about an eight and I'm like, yeah, I kind of identify with some of that or right. I read things about a seven and I'm like, adventure is all over my website and my Instagram. Like, someone might assume I'm a seven, but I'm not like, but those are, yeah. So it's, it's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you say that because Dr. Hardy pointed out, he was like, we're, if, if anybody was just one personality type, they'd be insane, right? If, if we were only (laughs) one thing, you'd be in a psych ward. And, and so the fact that there is nuance is what makes it interesting. And I think again, the flip side of uh, the conversation about Enneagram personality types, that's where, that's one of the detriments is it, it's a bit simplistic in nature because people are like, oh, I'm a this, I'm a that. And you can then begin to assume or project, as you were pointing out earlier, Casey, and and that could be a detriment in the conversation. If we go into a conversation with the baseline of I'm curious, first of all, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to, to show and live kindness. And now I'm curious about you, which is going to naturally lead me to, to ask lots of questions and get to know you. Um, then that I think is a really great basis for a conversation. And then in, in the process, if I happen to find out an Enneagram number or personality type, that gives me maybe next level understanding of, of that person's tendencies. Mm-hmm. But just because they have certain tendencies doesn't mean that they can't also be other things. So um, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it's a mixed, mixed conversation, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My husband has always been a, don't stick me in a box. So. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not putting you in a box. Yeah. It, but it definitely is a great tool for, for being able to at least a base level, understand people a little bit better in their tendencies. So, yes. um, what we'll do, uh, for everybody listening in, if you go to bocapodcast.com in the show notes, um, not only will we link to the conversation with Dr. Hardy, but we'll also link to, I, I think that we've maybe even mentioned one or two books in the podcast in the past about Enneagram. We'll put those in the show notes as well for anybody who's curious and doesn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, and make sure, for those of you listening in, that you're taking advantage of the show notes on a regular basis, because not only are the talking points from each episode there, but Haley also puts the um, the links to the various resources that we mentioned as well. So take advantage of that. But let me jump, Casey, to our, our primary conversation at hand, which has to do with how shooting film has actually saved you time. Um, to begin with, you mentioned earlier that you started on digital, moved to film. How long ago did you start on digital? You said 2014? I started shooting 2012 my business started in 2014 in 2015 my friend Annie Groves was like hey uh as a personal project let's learn to shoot film and I was a little reluctant because I still felt like I didn't have digital figured out Ah, okay (laughs) um so 2015 was the year of trying to learn film on our own just by reading resources online and finding any free education we could find and just being very confused and wasting a lot of money <laughs> and <laughs> having scan days that were really great and exciting and loving the images and yeah. others just like scratching our heads like what in the like I have no idea what happened or why that <laughs> didn't work or yeah. whatever. So in 2015, oh no, 2000, 2000 so end of 2015 my oldest was born. In 2016 beginning of I purchased find in a box it is an online workshop done by Jonathan Canlis who is the owner of the fine lab and he is the person who started film is not dead um 
bought his workshop and there like I just dove in head first. Oh cool. Watching all the videos, reading all the PDFs, picking things apart, rereading, and so many light bulb moments, so many aha moments, and so many like like <laughs> face palm, like, oh, why did I not know this already? Like <laughs> why was I not already doing that? And so with that, that was beginning of 2016. I decided to do a couple of family shoots and just leave my digital at home. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. And these were free family sessions. They weren't paid sessions yet. They were just kind of an experiment. And at that time, I had already been getting pretty consistent results in terms of exposures. And so I was like, well, if I can do this on my personal work, why can't I do it for a family session? Yeah. So I left my digital at home and just went for it and it worked. And I was like, well, never again. (laughs) Really? That's cool. I tend to jump into things head first and I wouldn't say that is the safest route, but if that is your personality and you are like a jump into things with reckless abandon kind of person, like (laughs) (laughs) I say, go for it. I have to say I'm I'm one of those people, but it sounds like you also had somewhat of a balanced approach and that you at least took the time to study it ahead of time. It wasn't like you just randomly jumped in one day, you picked up a film camera and went and started shooting. You had been practicing and experience the good and the bad, and you finally gave it a shot. So I, I think that was a kind of a nice balance, maybe not risking somebody's family session without any experience. Um, yes. <laughs> by the way, I have to ask you too, because I, I'm still on your Instagram feed here, and I'm, I'm seeing a picture pop up from, this is March 10th. You're holding a, a twin lens Rolleiflex. Um, for yes. anybody who's, who, who's not familiar with that, it mean, you need to go check this out. Um, I personally have a twin lens Yashica, so it's a very, very similar camera. Um, Is that a camera that you actively shoot with or what is your main camera? So I don't shoot with that one often and I can talk about where that one came from. I shoot on a Pentax 645. That is my medium format camera of choice. I call it my workhorse. Um, I have a silly amount of cameras (laughs) is one thing with film is you kind of start collecting cameras. But um, the twin lens was my mom's. Uh, my my mom's parents owned a photography shop in Nebraska when she was growing up. No I never way. met my grandparents. They passed away before I was born. Wow. So photography, we always had cameras all over our house growing yeah. up. Yeah. And they were there, but we didn't really touch them. They were just, you know, like we knew they were valuable, but we didn't play with them. So when I decided to learn film, I had my mom send me cameras and she sent me a couple of 35 millimeter cameras, a Necromat and a Nikon. And so I shot on those for that first year and they are dirty. They need to be cleaned. Like they <laughs> are dusty and gross. But one day we were talking about the twin lens. I was saying, I was talking to a guy who's a family friend and he said that he had one that he had bought when he was in Vietnam. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I would love to shoot one. And he goes, well, if you ever want to borrow it, you're more than welcome to it. So I was telling my mom that he said I could borrow his twin lens. And my mom just nonchalantly was like, oh, well, I have one upstairs. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, yeah, there's one upstairs. I'm like, no, there isn't. She goes, yeah, I told you about it. Like, no, you didn't. I would have remembered this conversation if you would have told me this thing existed in our house. I'm like, go get it right now, <laughs> like demanding her to go get it. 
And there it was just sitting on her dresser. And she's like, yeah, here, like you can have it. So when it's kind of the Cadillac of the twin lens reflex world too. I mean, it's a, that's a really nice camera. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I play with it occasionally, but I don't shoot it all that much, but I do take it out for, for fun, like personal work. Oh, it's, and it's so much fun to go into that, um, completely and absolutely manual, everything manual mode. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's so, it's so invigorating in some ways and almost meditative too, like where for somebody who normally shoots digital and you've got this fancy camera that can shoot, you know, X number of frames a second, just boom, 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 all the, just going nonstop. And suddenly you mm-hmm. have to take a step back. You need to set the F stop manually. You need to set the shutter speed manually. You need to actually yes. cock the, the shutter so that when you push the button, the shutter actually releases. I mean, it, everything yes. is completely manual and um, it's such an incredible experience. And I, I used it a little bit with my clients um, when I was shooting. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, one of my clients ended up ordering a 40 by 40 uh, print. It was a bridal bridal portrait that she then had framed with a foot wide frame all the way around. So this massive oh thing was sitting in the entrance to their second reception. They had two receptions uh, for their wedding, yeah. but the second reception sitting on a big easel to the entrance of the reception at an art uh, museum. And it was just, it was the coolest thing. Uh, and, awesome. and all shot with this camera that's, you know, at this point, I don't know, 60, 65 years old, maybe, yeah. maybe more. Um, it's, it's a Even, really great camera. Like, looking through that camera because you're looking down through the camera rather than like putting it up to your face like it just gives you a whole new perspective yeah and how you shoot and I have another uh Rolleiflex SL66 um it's like a tank it's a huge camera but it also is one where you look down through the camera and every time I pick up those cameras I it just is so inspiring just a whole different perspective on oh, how you shoot. Yeah. Yes, it's so beautiful. And, and the bokeh is gorgeous. Um, I know mm-hmm. on the, the Yashik anyway, I imagine it's very similar on the Rolly. And and you can even see that as you're looking through the lens and then as you're manually focusing, of course, that that subject is coming into view and everything else just kind of blurs out. I mean, it's just, it's it's beautiful. So I, I we totally went on a tangent there, but I want to recommend for everybody, um, if you are interested at all in shooting film, grab a twin lens reflex camera like the Rolly Flex or the Yashica and grab some medium format film and, and go to town because it is a really, really great experience. But um, you mentioned going kind of all in, Casey, are you shooting digital at all now or are you 100% film? So I currently do not own a digital camera. That's awesome. <laughs> I actually, I sold my digital back in, well, I guess it was back in the summer. So almost a year ago because I wasn't using it. It was just collecting dust. And I always had it for like the just in case I get into whatever situation right. where I might need it. Right. But those situations just never happened because I shoot families and we're typically outdoor. Like I control the light, <laughs> like not because I'm bringing light, but like I, <laughs> I control like what time we go shoot. So yeah. I know what the light is going to be like. And um, I don't shoot in homes. I know some people shoot in homes and that makes them a little bit nervous. But even then, like I can I can find a good pocket of light and use it. Um, it might not. It'll like obviously how you shoot is a little bit different than it would be if you were shooting digital and you can get away with a little bit more, but yeah, so I sold it and my plan was actually to upgrade. I was going to upgrade to a mirrorless and then I just was like, put it off because I was like, I don't need it yet. I'll buy it when I need it. And then I just never, (laughs) never did. So 
Yeah, I don't have a digital. I think it's great. I mean, like you said, just go all in. Why not? And especially in this day and age, I mean, we look for opportunities to set ourselves apart. I, granted, film has become popular, but but many people are not all the way in, right? They still have that digital backup, like you were pointing out. Um, and yeah. I think that's really great. But let's actually talk about your workflow, because this is really what is particularly fascinating to me, the idea that you've actually saved time shooting film. And I know we've begun to allude to why or how, but will you kind of detail the workflow that you've established now shooting film and then contrast that to your digital workflow and explain how you've saved time? Yeah, so we talked about getting premium scans, but um, I'll just I'll start back at like shooting an actual family. Right? Yeah. So when I first started shooting families, I was shooting about 10 rolls of 120 at a family session. Um, and for everybody listening in, that's what, 120 frames? So no, what each roll has 16 frames on it. 16. Okay. I was thinking 12 for some reason. Okay. 16. So I was shooting 160 images, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would end up culling down quite a bit of that. So now when I go to a family session, I shoot anywhere from like five to eight. Eight is like, whoa, I overshot just because my keeper rate is so much better now. Wow. And what would you say, just if if I can ask, what would you say made the biggest difference in being able to shoot less and have better images in the process? Um, I think your timing gets better and your confidence. So what I'm deleting is not underexposed or overexposed. It's usually a blink or a missed moment or something like that. And I think that is just timing. Like you just, when you do it enough, you know, when you hit that shutter, whether you nailed that shot or not. Um, when I first started, I would, because I was coming from the, the digital, like I can take as many as I want. I would take, you know, on digital, like 10 of the same thing. And then I have to call down to one or two of those that I really like. Right now I will take one maybe two shots of something before I move on to the next. Wow. Um, and you're doing that even with kids, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Cause I think about uh, even my, my former business partner would talk about how she would just, she would shoot a lot and, you know, get the, get the picture ultimately, or maybe two or three pictures that she wanted that, that ended up being the ones to give to the client. But somehow you're able to shoot one or two, maybe three frames and you're doing this on film. It, is there, is, is it just about timing? Like you said earlier? Yeah, I think it's timing, but I think it's also reading people. So like the more you do it, the more you just know, like, you know, when that like flinch is coming or when that smile is coming or you can anticipate blinks a little bit better. Um, I'll even do a countdown. Like if it's the full family, like everyone's smiling, like super boring shot, but everyone wants it anyway. So you just get it out of the way. I'll count down. I'll be like, okay, one, two, three, like everyone's smiling. And that way you eliminate having someone like turn their head or blink or not be smiling or whatever. And, um, but then in those, those other little moments, like, yeah, I think, I think you just learn to read people and you know, your own timing and, and you know, when you hit that shutter, like, I feel like it's such a weird thing, but I feel like my brain takes a photo too at the same time. And I'm like, yep, that's going to work. And then I can move on. That's cool. Okay. So you mentioned like five rolls is, is a lot. So somewhere between three and five rolls, you're shooting less essentially. Yeah, I'm shooting less. So I would say probably like five to eight rolls now um, for like a mini session. I'll do like three, like two or three rolls. Okay. Um, but you're more intentional as a result of 
the fact that you're shooting with something that obviously costs way more than somebody just firing away with a digital camera. So you're naturally more intentional, which means you end up with less images that even need to be processed in the end. Yes. I'm much more intentional. And that is like the beauty of film for me is that I'm super intentional. I am, uh, it slows me down and you talk to any photographer and they'll say these things, but it it is true. And that is why everyone says it because it really does slow you down. It makes you more intentional. Like even things with like the crop of your shot or the framing things that on digital, you're like, I'll fix that later on film. You're like, I don't want to fix that later. I just want to get it right in my camera so that I don't have to fix it later. (laughs) Okay. So we're starting with intentionality really is, is, I mean, if, if I'm to like create a list here from what you're talking about, intentionality Mm -hmm. is really the, the first time saving factor involved in shooting film. And for obvious reasons, it does save money. Um, I, I remember, I mean, the first wedding that I ever shot, actually, I shot it on 35 millimeter, but I lost money because it was, it cost so much to get the film processed. Um, and, and so we, we have, you do have to be careful naturally. And, and for anybody who's listening in, um, I'll reiterate it again. If you've not ever shot film before, just for the experience of it, go get a film camera. They're super, super cheap that the camera that I shot with, um, I guess all of my professional film career when I was shooting 35, that is. Uh, was a Nikon F100, and it is an absolutely incredible camera. And it only right now you can get it online for like two hundred bucks. Um, so you could start with thirty five on that. You can get one of these Yashica twin lens cameras for probably a hundred bucks, and you can experiment with film. And you have some some further context to this conversation. But we start with intentionality, um, five to eight rolls of film. So that equates to what is that ninety to one hundred twenty images or somewhere in that realm. Um, what's the next step? Uh, so after that, you like, once the, the session is over, you just have to pack up your film and ship it off. So I send my film to the fine lab. It's in Utah. Cool. Um, and I try to get my film off this Island as quickly as possible because (laughs) it, it takes a while and it's hot and it's humid here. And so I keep my film in a Ziploc bag. If I have little silica packets to soak up humidity, I'll put those in there as well. Wrap it in bubble wrap, put it in a flat rate shipping box for USPS. And then I will ship it to uh, the fine lab. And once, once they receive it, um, there are like order forms that you fill out and you can indicate kind of what you want on those. And that is where like communication with your lab starts to pop up. Um, So you're telling them like, how many rolls you have, if you want them to be pushed or not, what your color profile preferences are. Um, and I've been working with them now for four years. And so they, they know when my name pops up, they know what my colors are and sure. what my preferences are. And so that is a really a working relationship I've had for a while. So how did you, um, how did you decide on a fine lab? Cause there's so many film labs out there. Yeah, so I actually, I used PhotoVision before that. And actually what made me switch, there's a lot of great labs out there. I won't speak poorly of any of them. I think they're all brilliant. I think a lot of times film photographers, people will send their film off, they'll get something back, they don't like it, so they hop to a new one. Instead of really diving into maybe what they did wrong or trying to learn from it or even just calling them and saying like, Hey, like that actually isn't my preference. Can we, is there a way that we could brighten that up or have a 
deeper black point or whatever, you know, they just assume that like, what you get is what you get, which isn't always true. So yeah, well, and that's, you know, I I have to jump in because I've had this experience so many times owning a digital editing company that photographers even express that they feel bad giving negative feedback. And and the yes. reality is what you pointed out, which is that a good company wants feedback, wants the opportunity yes. to create the best experience possible. Um, so I would encourage everybody listening in, whether you're outsourcing digital or film work, make sure that you take the time to make the effort, develop a relationship, communicate proactively. I've, I've likened this, this relationship in the past to like working retail. I don't know if you ever worked retail, Casey, but I did. And when, when I worked with, you know, worked for these various companies, they didn't just stick me out on the sales floor. There, there was, there was ongoing communication, ongoing training and feedback. And that's just the reality of a working relationship. We have to set aside this notion that we're going to send something off to somebody or tell somebody to do something and then just walk away and expect them to read our mind. And, and it's going to be you know, wonderful. Uh, and yeah. then, like you said, give up when it doesn't go right the first time. It's an ongoing yes. working relationship. We have to be willing to commit to that. That is something that I had to work through as well. Um, I felt bad like telling them or, or making changes or whatever. And I just had to realize one day, like they are customer service. So they are like, I am their customer and they're wanting to give to me what I want from them. And in order to move forward and continue to get what I want, they have to know what changes I am making or if something isn't quite right. And so I had a great relationship with them pretty early on where I was sending back to them, like the full gallery, like, here so they have preference images to refer back to but they would send me a group of scans and I would maybe tweak them a little bit to make them exactly what I want and then I'd send that back and say like here's what I did to like tweak it a little bit and so then they like set that aside as like okay in the future I'll do this instead of that because I think everyone and I myself included especially I, I know what I want, but I have a really hard time expressing what it is that I want. Sure. So like, yeah, I want a black, like I would like my black points to be black. I want it to be dark, but, and I want my whites to be white, but I don't want to like lose detail and knowing those, like there's editor talk, right? And there's scanner talk and there's film talk and there's all this jargon that's like hard to express. And so when someone says like something is really high contrast, when I think contrast, I'm thinking like in the shadows because I like a black black and I don't really care about the highlight and the bright, you know, whereas like some people, if they're thinking high contrast, they're thinking like really in the whites or, you know, so I think being able to like communicate that or see something and say like, yeah, that's what I want. Um, it's hard to get there. And I still, I think I'm not great at communicating it, but I can at least look at something and say like, Hey, there's something off about this, but I'm not quite sure. Can we maybe, I don't know, does this look green to me? (laughs) Um, But they're, they're willing to have those conversations and just being okay with working through that with them and learning along the way too is really valuable. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I love this conversation. And, and part of why I love it is actually it's applicable, not just to film photographers, um, but it's also applicable to digital photographers shooting with intentionality, which means shooting less, you know, outsourcing or delegating the processing work to a, a lab, which you're, 
you know, ultimately going to work on com- clearly communicating your preferences too. And it really, I'm so glad that you put emphasis on that, Casey, because it's so true. Delegation, outsourcing, it doesn't matter if it's editing, film processing, accounting. Well, accounting might be kind of self-explanatory, but um, it, management of email, you know, working with a VA, like you'd mentioned earlier, uh, album design, whatever it might be, it, it is a process to learn how to clearly communicate what it is that we want. Even if we are clear about what it is, learning to communicate in a way that resonates with the other person, it, it can be a process and we have to be okay with that. So learn how to communicate what we want clearly. But then of course, the, the fourth idea is to be patient in developing that working relationship, understanding that the, the investment is for the long run and that it will likely ultimately be quite beneficial if we're just willing to work through the details. I think that's really great. So you send the film off, um, they process it based on your preferences. What's, what's the turnaround time like getting that back? So because I do premium scans, it takes a little bit longer. So they develop it, they scan it, then it goes to an editor who does the premium processing on it of um, editing the film scan. That's awesome. So some people out there prefer to get basics um, where it's just the the scanner will do a little bit of tweaking in scanner and then it is sent to you and you polish it off. I prefer not to do that because again, I will be the first to admit I'm a terrible editor. I'm not good (laughs) at it. Um, I think that is why I struggled with digital for so long because I refused to buy presets. I wanted to figure it. It was like total pride thing. I want to figure it out on my own. I don't want to give up control of this. Um, but when I started shooting film, it was kind of like a, uh, like a know yourself moment of like, yeah, I don't enjoy editing. But if I can get the look that I want from someone else doing that, then that's okay. And um, I think with film, especially there's this fear and maybe even with um, digital editing that if you go with a certain company or you start shooting film that your work is going to look like everyone else's work. And that is just not true. Um, I know a handful of people who send their stuff to the same lab and have the same editors and all of our work looks vastly different. And it comes back to your camera choice, your film stock choice, how you shoot that film stock, um, how it's exposed, and then how it's edited. And you can do all kinds of things with it. And so I think there was a little bit of fear in that, that I would just look like everyone else. But you don't. Your colors come back the way that you want your colors (laughs) to look. And then, honestly, the way that I shoot is different than how, like, you and I could be shooting the same exact thing and it's going to look very different. Yeah. And so I think understanding that and um, yeah, embracing that, like you really can get something unique to you is, is really valuable. But anyway, so they will do the editing um, and that usually takes about 10 business days. I think they've been having like a faster turnaround because I've been surprised by how quickly I'm getting my scans recently cool probably because wedding season is down sure (laughs) anyway uh so then they will send a digital file of my scans so it's um they send it to me through like we transfer other labs might use like uh dropbox or something like that sure so i have the digital copy of my images and then i am able to cull those crop straighten whatever i need to fix um, 
they hang on to your negatives and you can either have them trash them or I archive them and send them to you. Um, I have mine shipped to me after 90 days and then I file them away. Mostly it's just like a security backup thing. Like if I were to ever lose and mostly I'll, I'll sell them to my clients if they want them. Most of them don't because they're like, I don't know what I would do with that. But um, for my personal stuff, I'm like, at one point I thought I lost birth photos of my second daughter and I panicked and then I did some digging and I found the negatives and I'm like, okay, we're okay. Like I, I have the negatives, I can get them rescanned and it's going to be fine. So it's just a little extra backup, but yeah. So scans come back. I edit coal or I don't really edit. I coal, I straighten, I crop, And then I finalize that gallery and I send it off. It takes me about, I would say, 30 minutes to do that, to send my gallery to the family. Wow. Whereas with digital, I would have spent hours fussing over it and second guessing myself and (laughs) trying to decide what color looks better. And now we're standing in different light. Now what color looks better? And so now I don't. I don't have to do that. Well, I I think this is all just really, again, I think it's cool that it's very much relevant to the digital process uh, as it is a great highlight on the benefit when it comes to time that shooting film is. And it's so funny to me, uh, you know, how somehow we made this transition because again, I started on film as well and then ended up moving to digital. You went the other way, but photographers somehow when we moved from film to digital got obsessed with the notion that they had to process their own images um, mm-hmm. or they weren't, you know, they were somehow doing their clients a disservice in one way or another. And the reality is for the majority of the existence of photography, um, we were using film and somebody else was taking care of that in, in many cases. And um, so the reality is that we can give that work to somebody else and save time. Now, of course, we can do that on the digital side now as well. Um, thanks to companies like Photographers Edit. But I just want to rehash the the points that you made, how you're actually saving time here. And I was taking notes as you were talking. One, again, the significance of intentionality, being a little bit more careful about how we're shooting, what we're shooting, so that we're getting the best possible product, uh, but not shooting ourselves in the foot by shooting way too many images, adding to the cost of post-production uh, after the fact. Secondly, of course, outsourcing or delegating the processing, in this case, the Fine Lab, and we'll link to them in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. Um, third is learning to communicate our preferences, our editing style clearly. And uh, you kind of touched on this, Casey, but I want to encourage our listeners be clear about what it is that you actually want, because it's going to make it really difficult to communicate what you want if you aren't clear about that, if you're not sure about that to begin with. So be clear, uh, but then ultimately learn how to communicate those preferences clearly. Secondly, be patient, in the de- or I'm sorry, fourth, rather, be patient in the development of the working relationship with that lab, um, understanding that it's an investment in the long run. And then fifth, uh, leverage those premium services to save even more time. Uh, and, and I think that's a good reminder, too, because it might be easy for a lot of photographers to pay for the base level service, and that's still saving time, but ultimately there are opportunities to save even more. What you can do with that time is worth, in most cases, way more than what you're going to pay to have that premium service applied. And I think that's a really great reminder for our listeners, too. So this has been this has been really interesting and a great perspective on the topic. Um, will you just remind our listeners where they can follow you online and, and again, see your beautiful work. Yeah. So I am on Instagram at K 
Casey Lostetter. That's just Casey, L-O-S-T-E-T-T-E-R. Um, and then my Facebook page is just Casey Lostetter Photography. And my website, if they want to poke around on it, which I'm real proud, I did it all by myself, <laughs> uh, is CaseyLostetter.com. That's awesome. And I actually, on my CaseyLostetter.com, I have a free uh, film guide. It's just 13 pages of all the things I wish I had learned in that first year where I wasted all that money and really? time. Okay. Um, and they can go ahead and snag that free guide. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, I see that right here. Okay, so CaseyLostetter.com. Yeah. Scroll down just a little bit. Uh, and for everybody listening and you'll see it, it says a free guide just for you and you can download that. That's, that's brilliant. Awesome. Well, we'll link to this in the show notes and, uh, you all shoot a, a message out to Casey and thank you for sharing her perspective. Casey, thanks so much for making time for all of us today. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.